The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch The Intruder. My name is Kerwin. Joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Uh, Coors Light today. Cool. Also joining us is Muggs. What up, Muggs? How you doing? What's up, Kerwin? Uh, What are you drinking today? Uh, You have provided me with a Stone Notorious Pog beer. First time trying. It's pretty good. Uh, Also joining us is Elizabeth. What's up, Elizabeth? Hey, Kerwin. Uh, What are you drinking today? A nice Modelo Michelada. Cool. And rounding out the panel today is TJ. What up, TJ? Hey, guys. Uh, What are you drinking today? I am also drinking a Stone Notorious P.O.G., can't say Notorious Pog because that defeats the purpose of the name. (laughs) All right, so today we're talking about The Intruder, uh, released May 3rd, 2019. It stars Michael Ealy, Megan Good, Joseph Sikora, and uh, Dennis Quaid. It's directed by Dion Taylor, written by uh, David Laurie, produced by Screen Gems, Hidden Empire Film Group, and Primary Wave Entertainment, and it's distributed by Sony Pictures. So before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? So the budget it had was very, very, very low, especially for 2019, only $8 million to actually get this going. Because of that, this was very, very successful. Um, Domestic, it did approximately 35.5 million, and then foreign, it did a little over uh, a million. Um, I think I looked into that. The reason why the foreign was so low, only 3% of its earnings. I think they had a couple theaters in Canada. Um, I don't know exactly how many, but because of that, it did roughly around 36.5 million. And if you subtract the 8 million that was put away for the production budget, that's a profit of 28.5. Opening weekend was interesting. It did very well, almost 11 million. Um, And it was second, do you guys know what was first? Avengers. Avengers Endgame. I think that's what caused it to have this release date, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were originally supposed to go on the exact same week and they pushed it a week later because of Avengers Endgame. Um, because of that, this weekend, um, you also had um, Captain Marvel. That was at number five. With uh, It's in ninth week in, uh, in the theaters. Shazam and then also Dumbo were also in the top ten. Um, but yeah, this was second that weekend behind Avengers Endgame. It wasn't a close second, though. This obviously had 10.8 million opening weekend. Avengers Avengers, um, even though it was still at second week, was over 100, about, about 150. So everyone was still going to see Avengers Endgame. But yeah, it was successful of an $8 million production budget and made a, made a pretty good penny. So yeah, those are the financials. All right, Jason, uh, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this movie? So on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics, 31% of them liked it. It's pretty fair. Uh, <laughs> they had an average score of 4.23 out of 10 with 91 votes. Um, so this is this is a pretty big disparity between critics and audience. So again, the critics, 31% of them liked it. For the audience, 72% of them liked it. So that means that the audience, when they voted, 72% of them gave it a 3.5 out of 5 or higher. Um, the average rating is a 3.84 out of 5 with over 2,000 votes. Um, when we look at IMDb, IMDb gave it a 5.5 out of 10 with over 5,000 votes. And I pulled up again the same demos that I've been kind of pointing out over the last few episodes. Again, the average rating was a 5.5. Males gave it a 5.4. Females overall gave it a 5.8. Um, the lowest, again, with only a few votes, was males uh, under 18 gave it a 2.7. Females in the same demo under 18 gave it a 7.5. <sighs> Overall, though, I mean, a lot of the scores between the different demographics were pretty similar. Um, the next highest one on here 
uh, was females 45 and over. They gave it about a 6.0 or above uh, with 190 votes on that one. So it's a little nicer, I think, than Rotten Tomatoes. But again, uh, the disparity between females and males is pretty big. So that's all I got for the ratings. All right, so getting into uh, behind the scenes, uh, on May 14th, 2018, Deadline reported that Screen Gems, uh, which is a division of Sony, acquired the distribution rights to The Intruder with Dion Taylor directing and studio head Eric Paquette brought in to oversee it. During production, the movie was known as Motivated Seller. Uh, the director of this movie is Dion Taylor, and uh, he's also worked on the horror film Chain Letter and other topical thriller movies like Supremacy, which is the real-life story of neo-Nazis that take a black family hostage, Traffic, which deals with sex trafficking, and he also worked on the comedy-slash-horror film Meet the Blacks, uh, where a black family stumbles upon the annual purge after escaping criminal involvement in Chicago. Eric Paquette was involved in other films like Die Another Day, Stomp the Yard, both Agent Cody Banks movies, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and The Sixth Day. In an interview with THR, director Dion Taylor says that the script wasn't originally written for an African-American cast, so he reworked it. Uh, David Lowry wrote the script, um, with his other writing work being Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Passenger 57, and Money Train. Um, he also produced very similar movies to this one, uh, like Lakeview Terrace, Obsessed, and Penthouse North, which kind of all deal with obsessive antagonists fixated on our protagonists or protagonists, and they all involve some sort of home invasion. This movie is also very similar to a movie called uh, Cold Creek Manor that stars Dennis Quaid. In that movie, Dennis Quaid and his family move from New York City into a big-ass house, like an old house, uh, where the previous owners still have their stuff in it. The guy who used to live there comes home from prison and asks for a job and helping with the renovations, and they hire him. Eventually, the family finds out that he murdered his family, and he's going to kill them next, so they team up to kill him, which is kind of similar to this movie like yeah. almost exactly the same yeah it's funny like the people involved with this movie have worked on movies that are so nearly similar to it which is really weird and you don't see that a lot in a lot of the movies we cover you know home invasion obsessed neighbor or person like that's very specific and it's it's really weird that like so many of these films deal with that subject matter or have that similar plot so uh, Megan Good and Michael Ely both star together in uh, Think Like a Man and Think Like a Man 2. Shout out, Austin. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, director Dion Taylor actually got Dennis Quaid in the film by writing him a letter to which Quaid responded. Taylor says that Dennis Quaid was always his first choice for the role of Charlie. Dennis Quaid says in an interview with Access Live that he might have been chosen for the role because of his memorable role in movies like The Parent Trap, where he plays like this lovable father type character. Yeah. And... Um, he wanted his turn as a villain in this film to shock the viewers. Dennis Quaid also had a family-oriented movie titled A Dog's Journey that released around the same time as this one. And uh, he was actually kind of worried that it would confuse moviegoers um, and they might accidentally bring their kids to see The Intruder instead. So like, he came out in two movies with very opposite subject matter right. at the same time. Right, uh, but people don't show up to the movies and like, oh, I want to see the Dennis Quaid movie. And if you watch like, the trailer, I'm, I'm the definitely... What? Uh, okay, whatever. There was a movie, I forgot what movie it was, and it was like a year or two ago, where there was a kids movie that came out. Was it Sausage Party? Sausage Party. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah, Sausage Party came out, and like parents... Took their kids hey, to well, see that, huh? Yeah. You can't help that you would take your children to see something called Sausage Party. <laughs> or the fact that it was rated R. Yeah, like, I'm right. like, I'm no. going to first look at the rating. You I know? think the very first word in that movie is shit. <laughs> like, the very first word in the movie is shit. I love it. That's a movie we could do next. That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So uh, Mike Ely says that they spent five weeks shooting the film and uh, almost every day was at the house. And the movie was filmed uh, in Vancouver, Canada. I heard that the place was called the Fox Club. And I think they went to like a couple houses before and they did not find a location. And I think I read in that interview you're talking about the driver has said, hey, let's check out this place. And that's how they came across this house. It's almost by accident, you know. Yeah. And Perfect house for this movie, I think. You know? I've heard that, like, some articles say it's called Fox Club. Other articles say Fox Glove. So I don't oh, okay. actually know. I thought it was Fox Glove. See, it doesn't make Google sense. It. Fox Club. Why would a, like, well, a... Fox Glove is the actual flower that's poisonous, which they reference in the movie. Right. So I tried to Google the manor to see if there's any information on it. I couldn't find anything. But, yeah, the driver was the one that yeah. initially recommended that as a location for the movie. And initially, the cinematographer said... This house isn't going to work. It's too small. We can't get equipment in here. We can't get cameras in here. It's not going to work. And the director and producer were like, uh, it's going to have to because this is the house. <laughs> they liked it just as much as Charlie did, man. Damn. And Annie. Yeah. But I heard that they went to Vancouver for tax credit, right? Reasons yeah. or whatnot. It was a lot cheaper because I think the producers live in Northern California. Mm-hmm. That's why they wanted it to take place in Napa. But yeah, they filmed everything up in Vancouver. Yeah. I think um, Dion Taylor is... I think he lives in Sacramento. I think he might be from like the, the Bay Area. Though. Right. Yeah. Hey, so Curran, if this is only $8 million though, like I know they casted Dennis Quaid and Ely and Good, but like how are these guys getting paid? Because $8 million seems like roughly low. I mean, did, did they get some sort of incentive or royalties on this? Or I mean, how do you make a movie with like, I mean, I think these are three big time somewhat actors. I wouldn't call them like A-listers for the most part, maybe Dennis Quaid. But like, how are they putting this in the budget over $8 million? The movie was like fully financed by Deion Taylor and his company. Okay. Um, but as far as the actors getting paid, they, uh, they got paid on the back end so pretty much what that is is they don't take any money up front but they was that all three of the act- all actors? three of the actors okay. yeah and they uh they gain equity in the film so they'll make a percentage of the profits off of streaming ticket sales dvds blu-rays all that other stuff so they'll they'll make their money uh, you know after the movie's released right. uh, like a percentage of that the other thing too is um Dion taylor um, he's actually the founder of hidden empire film group the studio that produced this and he's a really strong supporter of independent filmmaking specifically in the black community um, his company is backed by robert f smith a billionaire african-american businessman and philanthropist um, he's currently the richest black man in america and he's the guy remember the uh the guy that announced that he would pay everybody's tuition at morehouse college michael yeah. scott no, oh. <laughs> Scott's Tots, nah. But um, yes. Yeah. So that's uh, so that's him, and he's also one of the uh, the top donors of the National Museum of African American History that we all went to when oh, we were on yeah, vacation. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, but um, yeah, Dion Taylor uh, does have a very close partnership with Robert F. Smith, and I believe um, he met him early on in his uh, filmmaking career, and that's how he kind of got the backing to start his own production company. So that's how they got paid. Cool. And I think when you sign up to do an independent film, you probably aren't expecting to make right. millions and millions of dollars anyways. Well, I'm wondering, since it made $28 million, I mean, I'm wondering how much they got out of it. They probably made a good chunk of change, you would think, right? I mean... Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I'm just curious, like, does that mean you have a lot of confidence in the film, too, when you take on something like well, this? Like, I also think, like, sometimes people, especially, like, artists, just sign on to a project because, yeah, they, they like it. There's no other reason other than they like it. 
Like Dennis Quaid's like, hey, I want to play a villain. I don't, it, yeah. I don't, I don't well, care what I'm getting paid. And I also, do this. yeah, in the yeah. interview, he said, I, I got in this business not for really the payday or the money. I got it to make movies. And I think he just really wanted to make this movie is what I was reading. So maybe that's what you're right. Yeah, not really confident, just like, hey, this is like a passion project that I, that I want to get out of the way. So Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like uh, when I was watching the Mike Ely interview, he said that, yeah, you are going to do some smaller independent films where you're not going to get paid as much. But that's an active choice that you make. Yes, you can be in a studio film, and that's where you're going to get most of your money. But the independent films are usually like the smaller projects right. that you're kind of more invested in. And Passion see, projects. Yeah, and you see a lot of like big time actors. They'll do like tons of films we've never even heard of or seen because those are the ones that interested them. And then you know, every six months they're in a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Like Vincent Chase does Queens Boulevard, right? That is true. Passion yeah. project. Yeah. Had to do Aquaman though. There you go. Had to do Aquaman. Yeah. Smoke jumpers. <laughs> Uh, Also, getting back to the house, I know we talked about the fact that the driver who was chauffeuring the director and producer and cinematographer around uh, Vancouver looking for a location recommended the house. In the interviews, the director and the actors, they talk a lot about the house having a part in the actual movie itself and playing a role, even though it's not obviously a credited role. Uh, they talk a lot about the, the character. Sorry. House, played by himself. <laughs> that's literally what they said. That's literally what they said. Credit a house by himself. That's literally Starring. what someone said. Starring. <laughs> House Fox as Club. himself. Fox Club. That's what the guy said. And the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor goes to Best Supporting Actor goes to House. The Intruder. Couldn't make it today. I just want to thank my my architects and my city planners. Like took me 114. You're years definitely keeping this in, right? You're keeping this in, right? Than me when I was just wood. I got to thank the vines. 50 years old. Thank you, Dennis Quaid, adorning me with this wonderful tapestry. You know, I hope I hope this role opens the door for a lot of other houses. <laughs> Should be the foundation for a lot of other houses to get nominated. Okay, we gotta go. And now, oh now thanks to this, there's not gonna be any more ceilings on uh, what we can achieve. I'm gonna start over. So we talked a lot about uh, how the driver or the person chauffeuring the director and producer and the cinematographer around Vancouver looking for locations actually recommended this house um, for them to check out, which they did and ultimately chose. But they talk a lot in the interviews about the house being an actual character in the film. Obviously, the subject of the obsession of our uh, antagonist but I didn't really get that in watching the film. It didn't really come through to me. Um, of course, like the house, you know, is old and it like creaks and there's like weird things about it, but nothing really made it feel like anything more than just like a vineyard house in Napa. I don't know if like you guys I mean, you, felt you, they did a good job conveying that. You hear Dennis Quaid talk about certain aspects of the house where it's like, oh, like, like I really like this or like the tapestry or different things yeah. that are around the house, but you don't really, they kind of show you, but they don't take the time to really focus in on every aspect of the house and kind of like make you kind of feel like, oh wow, like, you know, this crown molding is really unique because of this, or the way this is set up is really unique, or like, we've tried to keep this preserved because they do not make houses. They don't really go into that in right. great depth. I mean, they show his obsession, but you don't really feel that connection. Like, oh wow, like this house like has a lot of like historical or you don't really get the reason no, for the obsession. No, you don't. I, I agree. You don't really get that. And the thing is too is just like the house never comes into play in the plot ever. 
Like you could say like, oh, watch out, these floorboards are creaky, and let's just say they never replace the floorboards and then something happens because of them. That's kind of how you physically introduce the house, you know, in the narrative. Or it's just like, this house is historically significant or it's so significant in this way to this person, which is the reason why the house is so important, but it, the house has nothing to do with it. He's just right. obsessed with Annie. The house like, like really doesn't have an active role in the development of the plot at all. Yeah. But they talk a lot about it in the interviews, which is why I was like kind of taken aback because I did not get that one bit in the when I was watching it. Yeah, I feel like they say the word house a lot, but like a lot of the shots, like I, I don't know what rooms they're in. Like that tells mm-hmm. you enough already. Like aside from like the banister where the restroom is and maybe the kitchen. The kitchen, yeah, definitely. The kitchen, yeah. restroom, banister. Right. I have no idea what the hell else the is in this house. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, so you never do anything to kind of educate us about the layout of this house to make it more significant as we move on throughout the film. They could have done that through the tour, right? But I don't even think we got a tour, right? He just explained after he kills the deer, you know, like, like, well, let me give you the tour, right? But I don't think really, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't, it wasn't really a tour, was it? I mean, they showed a couple they rooms. A couple. They, they, they showed he had a small TV. I mean, they fo- they hyper-focus on these little things, yeah. these incidentals that, like, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of funny, but it's like, we don't really see the house. I, I right. feel like they focus more on how long the driveway is, and they even do the house. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, they, they focus do have on a, that more. They do have a deleted scene where, during that house tour, he brings them to another room, which is intended to be a future grandchild's room. And that got cut for whatever reason. But I don't think it added anything to the movie, which is probably why it was cut. Yeah, it was just like, here's this room. Here's this room. Right. Here's this room. I mean, we'll talk about it in like Trash or Treasure as we move on. But I just kind of feel like the house was probably the least focused on thing in this movie. Right. Which is the subject of the biggest obsession, which is weird. Yeah. Um, I will say that when they were doing that tour, I thought it was weird that he's like, here's the linen closet which we'll get into later. But when he said that, that I was like, okay, that's a weird thing to show someone in a house that's 100 years old. Is like, oh, this is a linen closet, but ultimately ends up playing a larger role in the film. Mm-hmm. Huge role. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know, I have so much to say about this well, movie. I'll, I'll hold on to it. Elizabeth, though. like you said, you were able to predict a lot going on. When you see the linen closet, did you predict that? Like that's the secret passageway to some other or did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. So that pick was up on the that. one unpredictable thing because I didn't. I didn't see that. I one will coming. say that is the one, Surprise. the least predictable thing. The least, yeah. Is is that linen closet being such a well? When part. when you found out that he was no longer staying in my, the El Royale Hotel, a Royal Hotel, the Royal. I'm yeah. thinking of the movie, right? The Royal Hotel. When you right. found out he wasn't staying there, you're like, well, he's definitely at the house then somehow, you know? Yeah. yeah and even, there's some sort of secret then, room. Even then, I didn't. I was like, well, then is he living in his car? I yeah. was like so confused. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, Getting to the film inside of things, uh, the actors did do their own fights, uh, specifically the action scene between Scott and Charlie. Um, But I do think they used a stunt double for him falling from the second floor onto the uh, glass table. Um, Wasn't there like an incident that uh, went on with that? So the scene kind of towards the end of the movie where Charlie and Scott are fighting, Charlie takes Scott and is about to throw him over the railing from the second story onto the bottom, like kind of through the chandelier onto the table. Well, while they were shooting this, like, I guess the scene was supposed to go where Charlie takes Scott, they go to the railing, he's going to toss him over, and they're gonna, supposed to cut right there. Well, kind of teach you how you were talking about, like, how, like, some of the actors had to help move some of the lighting and all that. Well, below, where we can't see yet, underneath that chandelier were all the poles that were propping up the lights just right there. And, like, 
I think in one take, Scott went over the railing and had to catch himself and almost, like he describes in one of the interviews, almost impaled himself oh, no. on one of the lights. But he caught himself on the railing and got his footing back. But like Dennis Quaid just kind of went all out and just like tossed him. And um, yeah, he almost ended up hurting himself. So I think in a couple of interviews, they were saying like Dennis Quaid was actually like a pretty big ass dude. Yeah, like he's like ripped or some shit oh, he, in this movie. I mean, he is ripped. Like yeah. you see yeah. when he he's, takes off his shirt and you see the physique. Yeah, like, the, the note I said <laughs> was like, "Damn, Dennis, you've been working out." Sixty-five like, years that old. Was literally, the note I made. Sixty-five years old. Putting Tom Cruise to shame, man. Jesus. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Sixty-five, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So you're talking about, um, you know, how we had like lighting and all that other stuff. Like a lot of the actors, they kind of did have to help. Specifically, Dennis Quaid. I know in an interview with THR. Uh, Deion Taylor said that Dennis Quaid was actually going around being a gopher, helping out with lighting, sound, all that other stuff. So it was very, uh, I don't know if intimate's the right word, but it was a very kind of close. Like, close environment where yeah. like everybody had kind of a part in everything. There was a scene at one point where the director had to stop it. It was a scene between uh, Dennis Quaid and Megan Good, and he called cut because he thought she got hurt. But she was just playing it really, really well. I guess. What scene was, was that? I think it might have been like one of the assault scenes after in the kitchen. Or I think on it the might bed. have been the kitchen or on the bed of one yeah. of them. But um, he actually had to call cut. But Megan Good was just like, "Yo, chill, man. I'm, I'm acting. Like, <laughs> that's just how it, how it goes." And then Megan you need Good, like safe words. I feel like. Yeah, and that's that's what uh what was said in one of the interviews. It's just like yeah, I don't have safe words for this. Right. I think it was um I think they were talking about when Michael Ely gets almost tossed over the the banister. Yeah, they were saying that too. Megan Good does say that she was actually choked and bit by Dennis Quaid during their scenes. Oh, God. Choked and bit. What uh, freak. Yeah, there's a scene where they're struggling. Annie and Charlie are struggling. And Dennis Quaid leans in and whispers, spit on me. You're <laughs> lying. What the Straight from an interview. I, I saw this, too. Straight yeah. from an interview. That wasn't in deleted scenes, TJ? <laughs> no. I mean, was that a line or he was just in character? No, he, like, ad-libbing? No, he was telling her to, to act, like, oh, spit on me. giving direction. Yeah, and she was just like, what the fuck? And the scene kept going. He's just like, spit on me. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she just kept acting. LOL then, that this dialogue is happening while they're filming. Like, yeah. This is in the middle of a scene. And I think it's, I think it's a physical one that they're just going to ADR over later anyway. Yeah. But then, like, after she says, I'm not doing that, and she continues to act, the director, uh, Dion Taylor, who's just like, spit on him! <laughs> like, yells across the set, like, yeah. give him a good one, straight from your gut, and just spit on him. I heard that there was a couple times where he would, like, just keep pushing the limit, and he would look at the directors and be like, am I going too far? They're like, yeah, you're going too far, come back a little bit, but now that makes sense, too, if he's going that far in the... Well, I, I think she also said that, like, she did try to spit on him one time, and it was, like, kind of like... Pfft. Like kind of like, <laughs> like like no, like gotta, a puff of air, and you're like, no no no, you gotta go. He's like, no no, you gotta go from your gut. I want a really good one. And she's like, what the fuck is yeah? Going like on? even the director was just like, do it. Like what what are you doing? Just do it already. And she's like, yeah. And then I ended up spinning on him. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Um, I don't think anybody got injured in this movie. Um, people probably got spit on. But um, <laughs> Megan Good says that she did get a Charlie horse while she was doing one of the love scenes with oh, Michael wow. Ely. Work, workman's comp. Yeah, eat a banana. Jesus. <laughs> um, real quick fun fact. So director Dion Taylor says that while he was doing events for this movie, he sent like uh, his assistant or one of his colleagues to get his suit uh, for an event from his LA home. He owns a home in you know NorCal and he also owns a home in Southern California. When his dude gets in the house, he finds two dudes living in his house wearing his clothes and they'd been living there for like months 
without him knowing. While this movie is going on. While this movie is going on its press tour. So, like, he actually had intruders in his house. Yeah, they were just... Can't make this stuff up. Yeah, they were just squatting (laughs) at at his house. Squatter's rights. Yeah, it was terrible. And they stole all his shit. They were wearing his clothes? Yeah, they just... That's like painting gain style, right? Yeah, (laughs) they were just wearing his shit, took a lot of his stuff, and yeah, kind of sucks. All right, so let's get into uh, our experience with this movie. Jason, why don't you tell us your experience with The Intruder? Um, so I'm sure Elizabeth can chime in on this too. We watched it together. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember Mugga kind of talking about this a while ago, and I had, I had really no idea about the movie. He just said Dennis Quaid was in his new thriller. He's interested in seeing it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of th- forgot about it. And then you brought it up to do it on this podcast. So, you know, went on Amazon, and it was five ninety nine to rent. And I was like, holy shit, this better be good. And so... But it wasn't, and so I, 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 I was like, Elizabeth, like, you want to be on this podcast? And we, we kind of recruited her to be on this one as well. I was like, oh, let's watch it together. So we decided to sit down and watch it. Uh, we both have our notes out, kind of taking notes on it. And uh, I, I want to say within the first fifteen minutes, we kind of both looked at each other like, I kind of hope an intruder comes in and cuts the internet connection so we can no longer continue this movie. Because we're looking at each other like this is, oh, this is really happening. Like this is a real movie. And we were giving it a fair shot. We were quiet watching it. Anytime we needed to talk to each other about what's going on, we paused it, rewound once or twice. But yeah, it was a it was an experience. I will definitely say that this was an experience to watch. Um, cringeworthy. Um, but I, I will say I watched the whole thing. And uh, I, I just hope to, I hope to never watch this movie again, personally. That was my experience. Elizabeth, what's your experience with The Intruder? So when we got done with the movie, Jason was like, where's your half? Like, I need $3 because this was so awful. I need help paying for this. Halfway through, Jason says he is hoping for some saw-like activities, some gruesome things to happen just to cut the boring out of this movie. We made it through it, but barely. We, we had to go back and say, we can't go to bed after watching this. We need to watch something decent. So we had to go watch the, she's never watched Breaking Bad. So we watched the second episode of Breaking Bad. We're like, All right, now at least we're, we can go to bed knowing that we didn't watch with, this awful piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. To wipe that out of our... Yeah, we had to just... Immediate memory. Men in black it and just erase our memories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad. All right, TJ, what's your experience? Uh, so, uh, like Jason and Elizabeth, I barely watched this movie last night. Obviously, I remember when it came out because uh, I was very recent. Um, so, I went to the Redbox. I only had to pay one fifty for it. So, you should have done that, Jay. Yeah. Uh, and um, I brought it back to the house. You know, poured myself a drink, sat down, started watching the movie. I was kind of into it like during the entire movie I was like just typing out my thoughts any thought that I thought during the film I just wrote down so that's pretty hilarious if you scroll through everything I was thinking and then about halfway through the movie my roommate uh, Gus comes home which is someone who has been on the podcast before Uh, and he's not the best person to watch a movie with because he (laughs) likes to talk a lot he likes to ask questions he likes to eat chips really loudly so he, he's not the, the best person to watch a movie, so there's like a lot of pausing, rewinding, starting over. 
Man, it sounds I, like he uh, really intruded on your experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say he actually made the experience better because at least it was like more comical than the film itself. I'm still not sure if the film was intended to be a comedy or not. I don't know. But uh, having Gus there definitely made it a lot easier to watch. Uh, and so that was my experience. We got through the entire film. Um, he fell asleep before it ended, but I finished it up and then pressed stop and immediately returned it to Redbox. That night? Uh, he drove back to the store and dropped that shit off. Get out of my house. <laughs> Get out of my house. You don't deserve box glove. All right, so uh, my experience with the movie, uh, I remember seeing the trailers for this movie like a bunch of times like last year and earlier this year, 2019. And then I remember the only person I knew who talked about it was Muggs. So I remember like here and there, Mug and I would talk and he'd be like, yo, have you seen that movie, The Intruder? And I was like, nah. The trailer's he, good, right? Yeah, the okay. trailer's, trailer's kind of good. You know, like it's- the best it's, part of the movie. Yeah, it tells you, <laughs> it tells you what's gonna happen essentially, but it was, it was cool, it seemed interesting. And so, you know, months go by and you know, the movie kind of comes up in discussion here or there. And then um, we're actually supposed to review another movie for this episode, but we decided to do this one instead. And, you know, we kind of say, hey, you know, like let's do the movie, you know, The Intruder, since we've been kind of talking about it on and off this year. Um, my experience, uh, I did not pay $5.99 on Amazon. Uh, what I did was I streamed the standard definition edition instead of the HD edition and paid $4.99. So you lucky bastard. I saved a dollar. Wow. Yeah, so I You're saved frugal. Yeah. I saved a dollar. Um I watched it yesterday at home and I thought I was gonna hate it because I remember Jason sent us a group text message and he said, Yo, this movie sucks. And then um I pressed play and uh, surprisingly I was very entertained the entire time. I thought I was gonna hate this movie. I think because my expectations were so low, that's why I kinda yeah. liked it. But we'll get into that in Trash or Treasure. But yeah, that's uh, that's my experience with the intruder. Mugga, what's your experience with so, the intruder? I'm glad you're asking me to go last because all of your experiences kind of determine my experience. Um, again, I saw the trailer and I've always wanted to watch this movie. It really kind of grabbed me. Um, and then we had originally another movie to do this weekend for a podcast. And then because of reasons, we chose to go with this. So we had to watch it pretty much all this weekend. Jason was the first on Friday night to watch it, right? And you gave us the text message that you want your money back. So I already knew that okay, it's not going to be good. And then yesterday I had a bunch of things. I had to do went to a barbecue obviously a uh, tired son a couple drinks and I rented it at my girlfriend's house and I passed out halfway through not because I think it was not entertaining I just was like just exhausted I woke up to a group chat with you guys Kerwin and Jason going back and forth how Kerwin liked it and Jason's getting mad I think but also to a text message from Gus just Gus the intruder fucking sucks. <laughs> so I, I start to go do research and my girlfriend's still sleeping. I had to wake her up. I was like, we have to finish this movie. I have to see the ending because I read about it and all that. And uh, I watched the remaining of it actually this morning and it did not disappoint. I <laughs> enjoyed this morning finishing the movie. But yeah, that was my experience. But it was uh, it was funny because of the group chats. I kind of, I guess, build the suspense. But yeah, that was my experience. All right, cool. So let's move on to Trash or Treasure. Jason, what is your trash or treasure with this movie? Here we go. Buckle up. All right, so I'm going to try to be kind and not <laughs> just destroy this movie. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to try. I'm going to try, so I'm going to preface that. So to kind of start, so again, what I like to do when I watch these movies is take notes while I'm watching it, and that's how I kind of get my trash and treasure. But I'll kind of start off with my trash. Um, can we agree that 
the conversation between Scott and Annie is very robotic. It doesn't feel like they have a really good connection. And to top it off throughout the movie, through their dialogue, there's too much narration. They tell us every freaking thing that is happening. And it's like some of this we can gather from what we're seeing yeah. visually, yeah. as opposed to you saying just everything that's happening. I feel like they tell us way too much. I'm sure Gus will appreciate this. There's no realtor when they approach the home. I was so <laughs> mad about that. No you can't realtor. just show up to someone's house and be like, hi, we want to buy this. That's the the fucking weirdest thing ever. On both ends. like he, yeah. On both ends. I wrote that down and Gus was like, that's the best way to get a deal. I was like, no, no. There was certainly a realtor that listed the house because they had seen the house for sale. So you can't just like show up without any representation whatsoever and be like, yeah, we want to buy a $3.5 million house. I was just kind of thinking there should be someone else there. The deer was there. <laughs> yeah, so to touch on the deer, I just didn't like how they go back and forth between you know what's happening in the movie and then Charlie cleaning the deer. Just was, It didn't feel very smooth to me. One of the initial things that I really thought about was like just how fast this movie moves along in the very beginning. The first 10 minutes of this movie, we see them viewing the house with Charlie and then I'm not even talking minutes. I'm saying within the matter of less than a minute, they're moving into the house. And it's like, there's no discussion. We barely even see them drive back. And then all of a sudden we're there again and they're moving in. It's just like, if you guys ever bought a house, it takes a lot. And this is a $3.5 million house. I would imagine you got to move some money around. Months, yeah. yeah, you got to do a lot of things. And I just, I really didn't appreciate that. The first sex scene is within the first 15 minutes of the movie. Is that the one in the, the kitchen, right? Yes. Yeah. The second one happens about 49 minutes in. The second one's funny because Charlie's viewing them having sex. Yeah. And the facial expression looks like he smelled like the most horrific fart ever. <laughs> and he's just standing there like, it's like this face that he has. It's just like, God, maybe this is supposed to be a comedy. I really don't understand what's going on. The awkward conversation between Mike and Charlie outside, you know, Mike, you know, wants to go smoke a cigarette and they go out there and it's just like this weird, slightly passive aggressive like conversation. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of sets up for part of the, the rest of the movie, but it's I didn't like that. This is one thing that I it's hard for me to get over is why did Scott text Annie? There's obviously something that they had in the past. Right. And they focus on this very briefly. Does it add to the story? For me, no. No. It doesn't. The movie can continue on without any of this going on. Right. But there's obviously something that happened in the past where, as opposed to, I guess they were, they like to talk on the phone. The rule is he has to call now because he sent a text. Yeah. Was with some other girl, is what I'm assuming right. cheated, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, you got basically two options of communication with the phone outside yeah. of social media. You can call. Or you can text. Or you can text. And it's like... Call, but yeah. you, you know, whatever happened before, now you have to call. Yeah. Just call. Doesn't matter what it is. Not Even if you're that. fucking up, just call. But he decides to send a text and it's like, why, man? Well, I feel like you're giving yourself away. Yeah. Not only that, but then on top of that, immediately after that text is sent, she calls him and he answers. So it's like, hey, baby, I just called just, you. Could have just <laughs> stepped text away you. from the phone. But I will say, though, like, he just bought her a $3.5 million house. Relax, girl. It was a text. But wait a minute. Doesn't she have a reason? Because doesn't he end up kissing a girl right after that? He doesn't kiss <laughs> her. No, the girl kisses, kisses him, him. And he's just like, whoa. There's a I get that. But if, if you don't want your haircut, don't hang out in a but, barbershop. But the thing I mean, is, that's my and thing. that's true. Because yeah. like, you could tell like this chick was trying to get at yeah, him the moment very, the meeting was over. But they had more also, chemistry, though, than his wife did. <laughs> like, exactly. That's what I was like, what the heck? <laughs> the other thing, too, is just like, if you're going to bring this up, what should have happened is like, Dennis Quaid's character should have like taken a photograph of her kissing him. There you go. Like, 
and him unwillingly receiving the kiss, yeah. taking the photo, and like, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but I saw your husband this. with another woman. And then that's how you play the, that's even how just, you add that to the narrative. Ex- talking about other it, than saying, hey, the text message. Yeah, because that whole thread means nothing. Yeah. Like that whole thread means nothing because he gets hit by a fucking car the next day. Whatever. Sorry, Jason, this is your trash. No, 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 no. Go on, go on, no. sorry. No, so I mean, yeah, I just was thinking there. I was like, man, if you'd fucked up in the past, like you kind of know what to do and what not to do. Like, especially if you even like, he kind of felt something. He's like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, just call, just just fucking call, man. One thing that's kind of a trash, maybe kind of a treasure, is at the very end of the movie, Scott takes the bat and hits Charlie in the head, and he's laying there. He just has this really, really goofy ass laugh. Did you guys pick up on that too? Yeah, it's just this weird I stuff. Like, like that, yeah. It's just weird stuff shoved in here. Um, That's what she said. <laughs> Yikes. One of my last, I'll leave it at this for my trashes. Um, the whole gun issue. Scott just has this distaste really deep-seated against guns. Like, he really doesn't like guns. He talks about his brother that I think he, he passed away from being shot. He was, mm-hmm. he was killed. Um, he's so adamant when he sees Charlie with a gun. I mean, Charlie, you know, killed the deer. Or like he's a hunter, like he's hunting around, like they're in this wooded area, like the, like this foresty kind of area. It's like okay, well, there's hunters. Like he just has this, and he just like gets enraged, like he gets not scared, but just like no, you, I don't want to see a gun ever. Like he has this really deep seated hate for guns. But then at the very end, he ends up killing Charlie with a gun, like all of a sudden, just just like that, as a snap. Like he just snaps and like okay, no, no, it's okay now. He's gonna shoot him. He tells him to go to hell. And I just feel like the whole movie kind of shows like how you show Scott really adamant about it. You show, you know, Charlie that's really for the guns. And all of a sudden, like just all of a sudden, like, he just switches up his mindset. And I think to top it off too, like to really go against it is at the end credits. I was telling Elizabeth earlier that there's this rap song by this artist named Casanova called All Gripped Up. And it's about shooting. See, and it's just it's like, an actual person. I mean, I, I thought they ran out of money, got some cast member on the beat, and just here we need a song at the because it's god awful. Oh, but yeah, Casanova, please turn this off. Right now. But I, uh, but I, I totally agree with you. I, I was super disappointed because I was like, that felt like the one thread throughout the movie that was actually continuing. Yeah. Because you open with Charlie as a hunter. Um, you have Scott talk about how his brother was killed when he was twelve, and then you also bring up the larger issue of the relationship that guns have with the black community versus the white community. You know, guns means violence, gang violence, drugs, etc. A lot of us like don't make it past, you know, mid 20s because of gun violence. And then you have the other perspective where it's just like guns are a hobby, guns are for hunting, guns are for collecting. And I kind of felt like that was something that I mildly appreciated, but I felt like this is a good thread to weave throughout the movie that Scott is so adamant about not having guns to your point, Jason. But when he uses a gun at the end to kill the antagonist, it's all gone. It defeats the yeah. entire purpose of that arc and all the social commentary that you're weaving into your movie with it, which I think is, is one of my treasures, all goes to shit because you have your protagonist use a gun at the very end of the movie to kill the guy. So would you rather have somehow them done away where they don't kill him with the gun, maybe that's just holding him hostage where the police I, take him, or he beats him to death I, with either, a baseball bat? I would either, rather the wife killed him. Yeah, because oh, the, yeah, the, yeah. the wife is a country girl. She's had the, the, the closest relationship with this guy the entire time. Yeah. He's been obsessed with her as much You're as right. he is with the house. I mean, it would have made 
Scott's character like a big bitch, but yeah. whatever. Or it's just like Scott <laughs> Scott should have been the, the one to call the police. Yeah. And say Scott, my wife just yeah, yeah, my wife just shot an intruder because he's not the one shooting the gun. Either do those three things, like have Annie shoot Charlie, have Scott refuse to shoot Charlie and the cops come get him, or don't introduce that threat into the movie at all. And I feel like that's one of the biggest failures because that's where you have the strongest sort of character like morals in the movie is like Scott does not yeah. like guns. So for him to to use a gun to kill the antagonist at the end, he's devolving. His character oh, is yeah. his character you is taking it a step as a way of like him yeah, getting impressive. over like that's so what I kind of see. There as. might be where, like, hey, he's but adapting or finally getting over something, but no, letting but that's go. Coming, but he's fear. But he's yeah. not. His fear he's to not, protect his wife, protect his property. But he's not overcoming. He's not overcoming anything because he's always been willing to protect his wife. But the gun is the thing. That's, that's his the one problem. one principle. That's his yeah. one. It's like it's like Batman. Yeah. Could you like the Dark Knight works because Batman refuses to kill people. Right. Like the moment Batman says, "Well, I guess I could kill people." He's not the person we thought he was anymore, right. you know? So I, I thought that was a big piece of shit, and I totally agree with you, Jason. Yeah, I just feel like it was very purposeful to have him, have Scott have that feeling, that that way about him of really not liking guns. And it just felt like it sucked at the very end. It's like, well, like hit him over the head with a baseball bat or something. I just felt like, and I feel like the director in a couple of interviews was like, oh, this is really going to surprise people. I'm like, I'm really excited about this ending. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I really, I really wish there was he would have done something else with it. And I feel like he could have very easily and kept to like, hey, like, no, I don't use guns, but I can still take care of business. The only the only thing I could see from a commentary perspective, and I might be getting this wrong, is that we always talk about a good guy with a gun, and we always talk about the NRA and gun membership and the relationship that guns have in different communities based on ethnicity, income, et cetera, socioeconomical status and all that other shit. Maybe this is flipping the entire somebody's breaking into my home narrative on its head where it's just like now instead of you know a white guy defending his house with his firearm now we kind of see the picture flipped where it's a black guy defending his home with a firearm and that might be something that i i might be missing but i think in the context of the way this movie has been set up and the way the script has been written i think it's a huge fail but i can understand if there's a commentary on that I just think it might be poorly executed, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, if that was the intention, then I, it went over my head as well, because I did not feel like that's what their intention was. It was more to be like a surprise or something, and then he actually uses a gun. And it was kind of like, kinda, that thought was kind of left at that that much. So, I mean, I don't know. It was just something I, I didn't find Not only that, appealing. but he also knew how to use the gun, because he knew that there was an extra um, round in there somehow. Like, he cocked the gun. He took the round from his pocket. Yeah. When? I don't know when. I think, I think yeah. they didn't but show he did, it. Didn't show he, it. Yeah. He, he put it in and then he, he like, said, got check your pocket. pocket. Yeah. yeah. So like, not only did he have this huge aversion to it for pretty much his entire life, but he also knew how to use it pretty well. I don't know. Just yeah. And, yeah. If someone handed you a shotgun and you found a shell on the ground, like, and never have operated a shotgun before, would you know how to open it to put a shell in? Not in that moment either. Like, yeah. we're adrenaline. I don't know. Yeah, and the yeah, other yeah. thing too is just like. Let's say you've held a pistol. Doesn't mean you automatically know how this rifle or shotgun's gonna work. Right. You know, like not all guns are, I would say, cross-functional like right. that. So to your point, TJ, yeah, he seems pretty experienced with this rifle specifically. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. My bad, sorry. No, no, you no, you guys are good. So that's the end of my trash. Look at the rest of you guys. Oh God, that was all trash? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much treasure, I'll be honest, and some of it I'm not gonna say because it doesn't make any sense. Um <laughs> This is me like just grasping at straws to get this stuff. I'm not going to lie. So when Mike pees outside, I thought that was funny. You know, a three and a half million dollar home. 
still peeing outside, I think that would be me as well. Like, it doesn't matter where it is. I want to pee outside sometimes. You must have been a Sigma new. Yeah, probably. You had to go pee, man. You want to smoke a cig, have a piss, whatever. I think it's funny when Annie gets jealous at the ice cream shop. Scott supposedly flirts with the, the clerk. Um, okay, he's clearly no, flirting. He's, he's clearly flirting. flirting. I'm sorry, yo. He legit well, said, can I have a taste? Jason tried to defend this in the moment, and I was like, you have got to be shitting me. It's one thing to say, hey, what's your favorite flavor? That's not flirting. Oh, oh, yeah, let me have a taste. It's I'll like, give you a taste. Like, yo, what? Okay, this is, how, this is how I knew he stepped over the line, because I wrote this too. I was just like, he's just like, oh, so it's mixed, like you? And I was like, bro. <laughs> I was like, what's, no. what's, yo, once you start bringing up people's ethnicity and shit, like, it's over. It, you're already, you're, you're going to a place that you cannot return from. You launched, like the line is here, you launched all the way over it. Yeah. It was pretty hilarious, because I saw this as like the perfect opportunity to rile Elizabeth up, and I was like, <laughs> He just bought her a three million dollar home. Three point five. Like, can you well, just no, no. chill? They out? took off a was it two hundred thousand? Oh yeah, yeah. Three point yeah. three, a three point three million. For three three. Home. I was like, chill out. She didn't like that. It was funny. Um, so nah. that's why. That's why I was a treasure. Nah, man was stepping over boundaries. For sure. <laughs> no, he was flirting. I just it was just fun to rile her up. Yeah. It was too easy. Um, there's a point where where Annie says to Scott, "What's funny is," and she goes in this whole thing. And I just oh, feel no. like. It's just pretty comical and pretty common when you hear girls say that. It's What's just, wrong, babe? Nothing. What's wrong, babe? Nothing. You sure nothing's wrong? Yeah. I just think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> there it I is. I just think it's funny how... Yeah, that Here was, we go. That was pretty funny. I don't think I see this as a trash or a treasure. I just thought it was interesting how after the Royal Hotel bar scene, like they just showed Dennis Quaid or Charlie like checking his teeth out. It kind of broke up the movie and kind of showed some of his insanity a little bit, mm-hmm. but it was shoved in there. I just, it broke up the movie a little bit, um, but I just wanted to point that out. And then my last treasure, and I'll let someone else go, um, the homage they've kind of portrayed with the Shining reference um, when he's busting through the door. It looked, I hated that. I don't know. It looked just like it. And yeah. I was like, this is pretty funny. Um, but outside of that, I don't have any other treasures for this movie. All right. All right, Elizabeth, what's your trashy treasure for this movie? So my trash is two pages longer than my treasure. Start with that. <laughs> Wait, can I just Start point over. something out? She has two column notes, and on one side, trash is all filled up. Treasure, there's blank. <laughs> like, like there's nothing on the right side. Blank, blank, <laughs> That is blank. amazing. I was ready. I was open-minded. I was ready to get some treasures, but they were few and far between with this movie. So Annie says, this might be the one. I think that is the exact quote after seeing the outside of the house for probably a total of 30 seconds. So I'm just confused how someone can see a house from the outside only and say, this might be the one. You don't even know how many rooms it has. You just see the forest and you're like, I want to buy this. Like, oh, okay. Because it came with Charlie. Yeah, and she was, she was into that. Killing the deer was disgusting. Gutting the deer, even more disgusting. When Dennis Quaid's character, Charlie, goes to leave in his car, there's no luggage. Did you notice that? No. I did notice that he just had that small box of stuff that he was, like, moving. Well, I mean, like, if they're moving in, I would assume he would have taken his stuff out to wherever it needs to be. movers? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Movers have moved it to Florida. Maybe he just showed glazes over all of that. Like, you show them moving in with their stuff, but you don't show him... Well, I think the assumption is that he's already packed his shit and he's out. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Also, because... Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. I'll I'll let that go, I guess. We're winning you over little by little. We're going to wear you down. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just move this to the treasure column. (laughs) Charlie realizes what Annie says before he takes the earmuffs off and he's like mowing the lawn. He's like wearing them 
and he's still mowing and then he stops and she repeats herself again and he still has the earmuffs on and he's like oh and then like answers the question after he takes them off like you can hear through the earmuffs like you just knew what your line was but you made it totally not believable when you did that i feel like that was more of an act i felt yeah. like he's just a psycho pretending to be nice i don't know maybe <laughs> what but. what is going on awkward moments times a million oh yeah there was so many awkward moments throughout this entire movie that just like made it uncomfortable for the viewer to watch. You can see right into the house from here, Scott says, as he stands in front of the house, full <laughs> of windows. <laughs> as Sorry. if you didn't know that when you moved in and you you're, could see right out of the house. <laughs> you're realizing it right now that it's not a two-way mirror, like this goes both ways. Okay. Yeah, I feel they didn't like, put any drapes up, no blinds. I feel like we were watching it, and I'm like, I think you pointed out, it's like half this house is windows. Like, the whole bottom floor, like two-thirds yeah. of it's windows. Also, when you're in the house, and you can see out of the house, clearly, like, without obstruction. By the magic of sight. The magic of sight. What do you think is going to happen? You're realizing this a little bit late. Also, I'll, leave, I'll make this my last one. Where is Mike's lady like at the beginning they're together she's there they're all partying she's a part of the situation and then she just like never comes back and wouldn't she report him missing it's exactly what i said so he dies there's no pan over to her like wondering where he went he's been gone for a couple days i mean maybe the relationship the way that it was portrayed like maybe she was gr glad that he disappeared i don't know <laughs> that's the only thing i can think of like he was kind of a dick right, right. like so maybe he's, she's just like, thank God. like She put the axe there. <laughs> also, it took off of the car. Because what happens with the car? What happens with the car? How do you not get any... When you like impale somebody with an axe, I would imagine there's going to be some sort of blood splatter, some sort of trail of blood leading down into that cellar where he was living. There has to be some kind of evidence somewhere where you're like, oh, what's this weird stream of red liquid that's like leading us into the garage? It's just miraculous that none of and that. And he goes, what am I going to do with you <laughs> after he kills him? No, he's literally asking himself because he's just like, somebody's going to see this big pile of blood and how am I going to drag him into this uh, shed? So I'll, I will leave that as my trash. Um, but I have many more, but I'll let you talk about those. For treasure, when he says jeepers, when Charlie sees the flat screen. Probably wasn't supposed to be as funny as I thought it was, but I held on to that because... I think this is a comedy. I, I think, think you're it, right. I think it. it's not supposed to be a very obvious comedy, but it was meant to be a comedy. Yeah. Like a dark comedy. Right. You don't know whether to laugh or be afraid. I put treasure. Annie bringing up old shit. You're the only female on this panel, which is why you would put that in your treasure column. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it made me laugh. We've already talked about it, but yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I said it's not supposed to be funny, but after they meet, we talked about Charlie looking in the mirror at his teeth. Like it w that was not supposed to be a funny moment, but I could not stop laughing because I thought it was just so goofy. Wait, like, what moment? When, when he's, he's down like, in his cellar. His teeth oh yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Trying to smile and do all kinds. I of I just don't know what he was doing. Like, was I, he practicing smiling? I think that's what it was. I will say this though, like, and I think Jason, you talked about this as far as like, why are we showing him in the in the cellar or whatever below the sh uh, the sh I was about to say below the Shrek, <laughs> below the shed. Jesus. Got Shrek in mind, huh? <laughs> Love Shrek. Yeah, how could you not? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there. I think that scene was inserted there because you know how they meet him at the Royal Hotel at the bar mm-hmm. and they leave. Then you cut to Charlie being in a room, and you're supposed to trick the audience into assuming that that is his shitty room at this downtown hotel. So that way, when you do find the room at the end of the movie, you're like, holy fuck, like that room is here? And I think that's the whole reason you put that there after that scene. There is a purpose for that. Yeah, but I think, but like as far as him smiling and shit, I think it's just him acting again. Like he's trying to act normal or seem normal, practicing. It it reminded me of Um, the new Joker trailer with Joaquin Phoenix, where he's like forcing himself to smile and like he's like obviously crazy. It kind of reminded me of that scene. When he's in the mirror and he's like... Yeah, he's like yeah. forcing himself to smile, but like angrily. I just feel like it's almost like an afterthought. Oh, we need to show how crazy he is and stuff like that. Like, I feel like you watch like Silence of the Lambs. Like, you, you kind of see this buildup of, uh, was it Buffalo Bob? I forget what they call the the antagonist. But anyway, but they show him repeatedly throughout the movie, like doing certain things like... Uh, like with his teeth he puts in like this um, fake set of teeth so when he bites people like it, it, no one can track him but they like show throughout the entire movie him doing different things kind of alluding to him being kind of crazy here it's just like sho- it's just shoved in this one little scene outside of like him like gutting the deer and stuff this is the only other time we really see him on his own like kind of going through some kind of routine or prepping or trying to perfect him not coming off as crazy and it's just like I wish would it would have made sense that they would have showed more of those kind of things personally yeah or just don't show it it's just like let us or take it out or yes it's kind of like how you're talking about like the music telegraphs everything the dialogue telegraphs everything let us figure this shit out like let us let us figure it out it's painfully obvious already that this guy's gonna be a killer we don't need more clues than what the plot of the film is we already know what's gonna happen but it's just like when you're like, hey guys, look, he's, he's crazy, look, he's crazy, he's crazy, he's crazy. You're not doing the audience any favors if they overkill. can't fake. Yeah, it's overkill. You're not helping us out by giving us over clues and too many of them. Yeah. So my last treasure, and this was more me and Jason kind of trying to make the movie bearable. When Charlie shows up after Annie gets back from the grocery store, Jason says, your friend is back. And I said, he just wants to bring you pizza and flowers. And he says, and this dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was pretty funny. Thanks for the appreciation on that. TJ, what's your trash or treasure with this movie? So my trash, uh, like Jason and Elizabeth, my trash, I have a little bit more trash than I do treasure. But I do, there are some genuine things that I enjoy about the film. Um, For trash though, I think it was definitely predictable. It was formulaic. It it just seemed really like not scary. So if they were going for scary, it just didn't get there. There were a few like uh, jump scares, you know, like the lightning strikes and you see him like in the background and you're like, oh shit, he's right there. Or it like pans to him when they're having sex in front of a Christmas tree, like, oh shit, he's right there. Like there's a few things that elicit a response but it's not scary in and of itself. It's more scary because you have the music, you have the lighting, you have the, the sound effects that make it scarier than it actually is. So what I kept reading like on Twitter and different things is that when people watched it in a theater around other people, like they like shouted at the screen at the screen while they're watching it, all this kind of stuff. And people enjoyed that. Even the actors, the director, that they're, they're saying the intention was to elicit those responses. Do you think if you watched it like in a theater around people and those handful of like jumping scary points, do you think it would have make you like the movie a little bit better? Or no, no, I mean, I think I would have had those responses regardless. 
I read the same articles that you read and saw the same interviews, and that that's what they intended to do was to create this film where people responded verbally to what was happening on the screen. Like, come on, girl, like, why are you inviting him in your house? Like, bitch, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it's those kinds of um, responses that they were trying to get, which they got from me when I was sitting by myself in my house, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think in a theater or with a group of people, it would be the same thing instead of me groaning about what I was seeing, everyone would be groaning, you know? Mm. So I think they elicited those responses. Um, and if that's what their intention was, mission accomplished. Because it was, there were a lot of like cringe-worthy moments where you're like, what the hell, Annie? Why do you keep inviting this man into your house after you already know your husband said not to bring him in? He's been mowing your lawn, breaking into the house to get the lawnmower. Like, you're crazy as well. So that kind of like predictability ruined it for me. I also think because we knew going into the film that Dennis Quaid's character was the antagonist, it wasn't really as suspenseful as I thought it could be either. Um, One of my treasures to like jump back and forth, one of my treasures was like the only thing that took me by surprise was finding that den in the downstairs below the house where I was like, oh shit, he's been living there? Like, oh, now it all makes sense. Even then, I thought that could have been done better, like having different like points downstairs where you could see into the house or having photos of the couple or something different that made it like a little bit scarier. Than I was, I was, I, that's one of my treasures. I, I was hoping he had like some sort of room where the mirror was him on the, where he could watch right. and some like, I was really hoping that, but yeah, that's one of my treasures too, but I think they could have gone more. I thought they missed on that scene, but yeah. I mean, yeah. like I said, it, like audibly, I was like, holy shit, like he's been living underneath the house. But I think it, that could have been done better as well. Um, it also seemed disjointed. You know, you have like gratuitous sex scenes, uh, which don't really fit into the plot. You have this whole like other subplot of uh, Scott cheating on his wife in the past that doesn't add to the story at all. There's no there's no real reason for it. Um, I also don't think there's any real reason for um, Charlie to be obsessed with the wife either. It just seems sort of forced. And then you get into like potential like rape scenarios when you get towards the end. What's his obsession? Is it the wife? Is it the house? Is it the life that he had before? Early on in the movie, it seemed like his obsession was the house and that was the only thing he cared about. So much so that he was willing to kill his old wife to protect the house. But now he's willing to to take on this new obsession of Annie. That just didn't seem to make sense to me and didn't really seem to fit the plot that I had gone the entire movie thinking was the plot because it was no longer about the house it was now about it annie right less about yeah, the house yeah. and more about annie which again seems really Stupid. weird to me <laughs> yeah. like it just seems like a switch for no for, again for no reason i would have been much happier if he was just focused on the house and yeah. he's like fuck annie like ev- yeah. i'm just getting this house back you know there were a lot of grown out loud moments a lot of the dialogue was like ugh, really like a lot of the soundtrack was like okay, like you're gonna have sex to R&B music, cool. (laughs) It just seemed out of place. Um, The thing that really annoyed me the most was that Scott calls the daughter somehow, somehow they have access to people who've changed their names, tried to fall off the face of the earth. Somehow a marketing company has access to all of this information. Well, TJ, they have an IT guy. (laughs) So he calls on the way back to the house. She immediately hangs up on him. But it goes from like that scene of like, someone hanging up on you to then not only answering the phone again after the same number calls you but then explaining the entire plot and back history of the movie in a matter of seconds like we are led up to this whole thing with charlie and like what's really happened to his wife what's really going on with him 
why is he so crazy? And it's explained in a matter of seconds by someone who literally just hung up on you a moment before and now answers the phone and lays all the shit out there. And number one, we're supposed to just believe this person too. Like we don't even know, we just believe her. So that really bothered me because I feel like they were trying to tie up loose ends really quickly and they couldn't come up with a better way to do that than to have Charlie's daughter speak on his behalf about what was going on. Instead of like flashback scenes, which they used a little bit of, instead of even like we were talking about like in the den, like having articles about his wife's death, having articles about his company going under, you know, using that opportunity to kind of learn more about his background. His daughter just like spills the beans in 20 seconds and that was it. So it was like a lot of lead up to very little payoff. I felt they even did that in the coffee shop kind of too. Oh, I, my that notes, random neighbor. My notes, yeah. I was like, nice coffee shop talk. Like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. She blew her brains out. Like, what the heck? And he, he it's really awkward because he doesn't know who that guy is. He goes, oh, you moved into the whatever residence. Right. And that's how they initiate conversation. But he doesn't like how you like the neighborhood. He basically goes into the backstory of Charlie. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you don't just lead in with that. Again, yeah. It's like a weird thing to say on meeting someone the first time. And that, that's the problem, I think, with the script is like, it doesn't think we're it doesn't waste any time. It just lays everything it out for you. It just tells you everything, and it's just like, wow, geez, this should be a narrator just narrating the right. whole thing, you know? Uh, the other thing, too, is, like, I feel like the filmmakers wanted to answer, like, every question. Like, you can leave some things unanswered and let us come to conclusions on our own. That's okay to do. Yeah. But they wanted to, like, tie up all these loose ends, and they just did it, in my opinion, in, like, a really sloppy way. Yeah. So that's, like, my biggest trash. As far as treasures go, I thought Dennis Quaid did a really good job. Like, I'm legitimately scared of him in this role. You know, the last time we saw Dennis Quaid in Napa, he was Nick Parker from The Parent Trap, and I much prefer that character. And I thought, like, even his facial expressions, like uh, the scene where they're talking about the tapestry and the removal of that tapestry to put up new art, and he kind of zones out what Scott is saying, and you can see his face sort of contorting into, like, anger and frustration and then it goes to like back to like a normal happy guy who's like happy thanksgiving like i thought he did a really good job and i was legitimately scared of him in this role like even when he was trying to be nice i was scared of him because he just has that maniacal look about him when he catches mike out in the driveway, right? Oh, and he yeah. goes, Mike, I could have killed you, you know? And it's like, then he's trying to be nice. And I'm like, no, bro, you're weird now, you yeah. know? Like, but his stop. ability to go back and forth between, like, I don't know if you're psycho, if you're just an old man. I can't tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought he did a really good job. Um, of course, that guy has been working out since the day he was born, apparently, because, like, what the hell is a 65-year-old doing looking like that? <laughs> Like, how? No, ex- also no excuses now. He was pretty, he was pretty yoked, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was insane. And, again, he's 65, but that kind of, like, lends to his, like... The threat of him being there, kind of? The threat of him being there. Like, that intimidation factor. Um, because he's ripped and old and has guns. The other thing that I that I really enjoy about movies is, you know, whether this could actually happen in real life, I think, you know, who knows. It's possible. There's not a lot of, like... It's just really one crazy person who sold a house that he didn't want to sell. Like, that could happen. And so that kind of, to me, is like a treasure as well because the fact that it's plausible makes it a little bit scarier. Um, I just don't think they did a good job at, like, portraying this whole scenario. I think they could have done a lot better with maybe different writers or 
a different director. I don't know. Do you think this will discourage like first time home buyers? Oh yeah, nobody. Yeah, I actually read that California home sales have gone down significantly <laughs> after this movie was released. I <laughs> <laughs> were like down down twenty percent. The market's really rough right yeah, now, especially in Napa. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna get my uh, I'm gonna get my treasure out of the way first. I'm gonna do it uh, different. Uh, Dennis Quaid does play a really good creepy guy. Um, I would like to see him play more villain roles after seeing this movie. Um, I think he'd be great in like a Marvel or a DC movie or something like that. Like I actually like him as a as a bad guy. Uh, shout out to uh, Joseph Sakura, Mike's actor. I really liked him because he's the first guy that really figured it all out. Um, you liked Mike. I did because he. Wow, right, I was no, my treasures when he got killed. No, right away. No, because like just right away, like he's me. Because like he's just like this motherfucker's crazy. I need to speak <laughs> up about it. Like he's the only one right off the bat. Because even Scott is just like, he's like, nah, man. He's just the old guy that's obsessed with his house. It's okay. It's okay. And Mike is the first one to be like, yeah, this guy is not cool, man. Like he's dangerous. It's wow. creepy. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna make you walk out of your house go to the trail and then they see in the middle of the night yeah and they obviously see what is supposed to be charlie's truck out there like he's the one that that points all that shit out he's the one that first becomes suspicious so i, I did like his character i thought the cinematography was pretty good yeah, for a movie this low budget good, yeah. like this this movie is like really well shot and I, I especially think uh, the scene when they're at the bar, I think the color grading in that shot is like really, really good. That How, red tone. Yeah, huh? yeah, everybody's faces are just red. And I, I thought think, they also kind of did a good job on that when he was in that room that we think is the Royal Hotel, right? But it, I, I thought they really made they that also, too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think this movie's shot like really, really well. Did, did you think the ending though, like I, in my notes, the cinematography for that last fight to me was really bad. Yeah, once once you get into the uh, physical altercations, I don't think they film the action very well. It's, it's hard very, to follow. Yeah, it's very hard to follow, but I think it goes into, I forgot who brought this up, but the, I think you did, TJ, where the cinematographer said, like, yo, this house isn't big enough for us to have equipment and moving right. cameras, and I think it might be a victim of the allotted space. I for did the like the scene, though, where he comes down from the top part of the frame, mm-hmm. and he and he's, like, doing that, like, little Spider-Man come down. I thought that was kind of cool. He's like Captain America. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, or like uh, like how Batman shows up sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I did like the scene where uh, Charlie makes Mike smoke kind of his last cigarette. Like you kind of see that coming, but I thought like the way it kind of worked out, um, kind of the completion of his arc or whatever, that was one of the things that I felt was well done because it started off with the cigarette. Their second encounter was uh, them outside when he says, oh, I could have killed you. And their third encounter is when he catches them looking outside and he kind of makes them pretty much walk to his death and chops them with an ax. Um, I did appreciate, you know, kind of the racial undertones of the movie. You have this old white dude that loves his guns, wears a red hat. You even have the, uh, the line where he says, like, well, if you can't afford it, maybe you shouldn't be here. Um, like, I've been asked that multiple times when I go buy stuff, so I really felt that. So I did appreciate that um, there were some, some things that I really could relate to in this movie. Um, I thought those were nice details. However they were executed is one thing, but I did appreciate the inclusion on that. I did like the end credits where the last shot is just the, the creepy ass rocking chair. I thought that was a nice callback. Like this movie doesn't pay off a lot of the things that it does set up, but I thought that one small detail was kind of a good thing. Um, I did like the line where Annie says, you know, my husband just shot an intruder because it's Annie is the one that's pretty much telling Charlie to fuck off when they've been close the entire movie. I don't agree, like you said, Jason, I don't agree with the fact that Scott is the one that kills him, but I do like 
how that line was set up and it's pretty much like a curse to to charlie to you know like you're fucking dead like we're done with you like i did appreciate the way that was kind of executed but as it relates to the overall storyline and scott's arc i thought it was kind of whack but that's uh that's my treasure let me get in my trash. Um, the hallucination where Charlie smashes the bottle over Mike's head. Yes, I hate it. Thanksgiving oh, dinner. No, because I hate it. He never has any other hallucination ever again throughout the entire movie. That is true, but right before that, you see him kind of go in and out of like a phase when he's talking about that tapestry. No, but like I'm talking about like just actual hallucination, actual cuts to the possibility of what he could be doing. I felt like that was going to be a thing throughout the movie, and for them to only do it once and never do it again, I thought that was kind of whack. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, did anybody throughout this entire movie ever ask Annie if she was okay? Annie, are you okay? Like, did they name her Annie just so they could ask her if she was okay? Because like, she's Annie, are you okay? And then Dennis Quaid is in his room and he's looking at the man in the mirror. Like, I don't know if there's like Michael Jackson connections going on here. I can't tell. I don't and know. And it's a thriller movie. And too. it is a thriller. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that was. I, I, are we in trash or treasure? <laughs> what are we doing? What is happening? Like you said, they move very quickly from the surprise party to them buying the house. That thing oh, happens fuck. in like five minutes. It's just like, oh, here's a party. Nothing happens here. And then two minutes later, they're in Napa. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. Like we said before, this movie makes things so painfully obvious. One of the things that I thought was just like weird, I think Mike tells his girlfriend or wife, like, shut your magic lips. I don't know. That, that is a quote, a direct quote. Is that when he's in the car or something? Yeah, like I think when he's in the car and like when she's like, oh, you shouldn't be smoking or some shit like that. I don't know what was happening. I just thought that was a, a weird line to, to be in there. For sure. Yeah. Um, they buy this big ass house, right? And they're just, they're like a young couple, like mid 30s, mid to late 30s, maybe. When the fuck are they going to have time to do any maintenance on this house? You know, like, when are they going to find time to cut the grass? When well, are they going to find it? I thought she work? doesn't work. Yeah, she doesn't work, but it's just like, is this really the house Number you one, buy? why do two people need a house that size? Yeah. N- number one, with that much land. Yeah. Don't you think that's the house you buy when you find out you're pregnant? Like, I've never bought a house or gotten anybody pregnant, but you know it's just like... what else I was thinking, too, is, like, the surprise party was because he had just landed this deal, making him, like, the highest paid, you know, person in this firm. As soon as they hit a little bit of success, they're like buying a $3.5 million house. That seems weird to me too, that you wouldn't be like, let's give it a year, make sure this lasts before I like commit to something like that huge. We had to like justify that in some way. It's just like, why couldn't he just have money from the beginning? Because that whole surprise party, I think is just meant to set up the fact that he has money. And And he's successful. Yeah, it's just like, why can't he just be inherently successful? Like if you're buying a $3.5 million house, $3.3 million house, for sure you have like a gardener, right? <laughs> you didn't hire one yet? Like, right. Why like, didn't you hire one like, yet? Like why is Dennis Quaid having to cut your grass? Yeah. So yeah, that uh, that neighbor, you live a mile down the road and you find out that people move into this house, move into your ex-neighbor's house. You suspect that he might have murdered his wife. You don't run your ass over there the moment you find out they moved in and tell them? You, you tell don't- them at a coffee shop. <laughs> Yeah, like, like a, what, a, a week or so after they've been there or a month or so after they've been there? It's just kind of yeah. like, say, like a, a holiday has passed already. Like, say something to them. Like, be like, hey, don't buy this house. Don't buy this house. I don't, I don't know. Probably one of my trashes is like, at what point do you move out of the house? You're not that attached to the house. Clearly, Charlie is more attached than you are. Just sell it and move. Like, 
they're in there for months with Charlie breaking into their garage, mowing their lawn, showing up unexpectedly. He scares them every time he's at the door. Yeah. Like she's scared every single time. Mm-hmm. Startled, but they invite him startled. right yeah, in. Yeah, because like, oh, come do in you for cookies. Right. This pizza is and it's just weird bigger to me than that, one like, person. I mean, like, what yeah, the heck? Yeah, dude? he brings the pizza over, and she's like, uh, "This pizza is too big for one person." It's just like you have a husband <laughs> that's coming home. Also, have you never heard of leftovers? Like, have you never heard of that shit? So weird to me, like especially because I'm ready to sell my house anytime I hear like a strange knock at the door. I'm ready to sell. Like it just seems weird that like he keeps showing up, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna stick it out." Yeah, um, the scene where Charlie looks at Megan Good's ass. Super oh, creepy, yeah. In the shower? Or? No, when uh, she's in the kitchen and he like oh. looks over, and then also the scene where um, where she like takes off his boot and oh, like, oh, is checking yeah. his ankle. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure like he achieved orgasm in that. Those moment. noises, those like grunts. I yeah. was like, oh, I, I can't watch this. It's this weird. is so gross. It's funny too because like I was watching Parks and Rec last night, and it's the episode where um Ron, the shoe shine episode and Andy's rubbing his foot so I thought that was kind of funny that I saw that episode the same day um after after Scott or after Andy stabs Charlie they just let him crawl out of the house oh my god like you just let no another you grown worthy moment like, keep stabbing him with the, the knife hell? like you just let him like crawl out on his like alien type shit go and, downstairs get a shotgun clearly you didn't stab him good enough yeah like you stab him once and you just console each other. Don't think about getting a phone. You just Gus wait there. Gus and I there. were talking about this. We yeah. were like, and then if she we actually, ever stab someone like that, like for sure we're going to keep going until you yeah, stop just moving. just keep going. But they, she stabs him once and then he fucking is like, he's like, ah, and he, he crawls away and he comes back with, with his rifle later. Clearly nobody in this movie has an iPhone because all you got to do is tap the power button five times and it'll automatically call emergency services. This is a PSA for those of you that don't know. Yo, if any of you guys are in trouble, literally tap your iPhone power button five times and in three seconds, it'll alert emergency services to your location. What's Bling going to do? Because he doesn't have an iPhone. He's probably (laughs) going to get stuck. He actually has to press 911. Which is probably easier than tapping only three. five times. Yeah. <laughs> That's only three presses. And in that time, like the cops would already be here. My last bit of trash, uh, I'm going to call this a special segment. I'm going to title this segment, Call the Police. So I'm going to say something, oh and I God. want you guys to say, yes, let's Call do it. the Police. If the previous homeowner keeps showing up at your house, Call, call the, police. the Police. If the same guy keeps showing up when your wife is home alone, Call, call the, the police. police. If your best friend goes missing after you send him to check on your wife. Call, call the, the police. If your neighbor tells you that this guy's wife might not have necessarily died of cancer. Call, call the, the police. police. When the guy your husband keeps warning you about keeps showing up unexpectedly. Call, call the, the police. police. When the IT guy tells you all the legal trouble <laughs> the creepy guy is in. Call, call the, the police. police. Instead of calling the IT guy to do your private <laughs> investigating. Call, call the, the police. police. When the creepy guy is still around and you find out that he hasn't been staying at the hotel he claims to be staying at call, call the, the police. police when you find out that his daughter legally changed her name because he's a fucking psycho call, call the, the police. police when you're on your way home and your wife isn't answering her phone after you find out that the guy is a psycho call, call the, the police. police when you get home after your wife hasn't answered the phone and find shit all over the floor including a knife Call the police. police. Instead of telling your wife to call the police 50,000 times during the movie, maybe you should. Call call the police. police. And after stabbing the creepy guy with the knife, causing him to leave the room. Call call the the police. police. And my last trash is, 
and he finally has a fucking phone in her hand when he has the rifle pointed at Dennis Quaid and he's just like call up make the call make the call make the call like she's still not willing to make the call yeah. like he has to tell her like four times to do it but that's all I got for my my trash and treasure Mugs, what about you? Call You're the police, out. yeah. <laughs> I, this is going to be quick because everything that you guys are saying is what I have. Um, trash, I just thought the acting in general. I know Dennis Quaid is creepy, and I think that's good, but them, like, with the dialogue together, I just it was just cringeworthy, you know? Like, And I, I, I do like all these actors. Um, I'll get into that in my treasure, but, like, with Michael Ely and Megan Wood, I mean, Megan Good, sorry, I thought they would have better chemistry. It was, like, brother and sister making out, talking to each other. I didn't like that. Um, I didn't like a lot of the like the ways they filmed Dennis Quaid. I know he's creepy, but I thought there was somewhere it's just close up and it just it was really crimp where there was the shower scene or him walking through the house very, very slowly. Um, but I disagree with you, Kerwin, on the Thanksgiving scene. Um, if they were done more, I said I, I don't like it when they have that you know illusion or someone's dreaming of doing something when it doesn't really happen. I just, I mean, I could already tell the guy is unhappy with people in the house. Well, I don't need an illusion of him thinking of. I know what he wants to no, do. I didn't, I didn't oh. like it either. Because, oh, okay, I just, I don't even want him to do it at all because they know? never, yeah. they never do it again. So it's yeah. just kind of like why, yeah, why do it even at all? do it? Yeah. Um, the plot and the story in general, I have a hard time liking. I, uh, I think they could have done better. I just the whole connection with Mike and he realizes. So maybe Dennis Quaid does realize he's onto something. He, the whole cigarette thing on his car. I just there's a better way to connect this. I think we can come up with it. And I think we all went saying that the whole text message thread and all that stuff. I think you hit it. It would have been a better way if like maybe Charlie getches on camera or video or something with a phone or whatnot of him kissing that girl. Maybe that way it would, I don't know. I just thought that was that, but, um, the characters, I did not like Mike or the daughter. I, I hated those two. I don't know why. I thought the daughter was just... The daughter on the phone? Yeah. Just, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I just I did not like that at all. Specific scenes. I'm surprised you guys didn't bring it up. When he says at the end, he's got the shotgun, lights out, and he blows off the chandelier. Like, okay, I get that. But that the whole house now, they show a picture of the house in front, and there's no lights on. Like, the chandelier is like, I don't know. Like, he couldn't, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, he couldn't just like... Turn off the light yeah. switch. Cut the power, you like, know, or he's something. He's downstairs. You know? That's more that narration they do through all the dialogue. Yeah. All right, lights out. Oh, okay. Yeah, we get also, it. So doesn't he shoot the cord with a gun, right? Like, the bullet hits the cord. But and it's a shotgun, too. So it's not just one bullet, right? Doesn't it just, like, spray? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never shot a shotgun, but it's not a specific... I, I don't know, whatever. Am I wrong on this? So... Michael Ely's character is in the hospital, right? And he wants out because he knows Charlie's bad. And he says to the doctor, am I going to get out tonight? And the doctor then says, well, we'll see. We're going to run some tests and we'll get the results back tomorrow. And then we'll, and it's just like, well, so just tell him he's not getting out tonight. Like none of you caught that. I was just like, what did he just say? I actually rewinded it again. But, but yeah, I, th those are a lot of my trashes. The treasure, um, I don't know if this really is fair to say, but I love the trailer. I think it's what got me to watch the movie. Um, I did think that uh, Dennis Quaid's character was creepy, especially when I watched it this morning, the second part. I think the second half of the movie where he has her tied up, he's like licking her, you know, other parts. Um, but uh, I do like the cast. I like Megan Good and Michael Ely in other movies, um, especially Think Like a Man. But yeah. um, visually it was good. You guys talked about how it does go so fast. I kind of like that it moved fast. This movie is not slow. Like, there's no points where it's like dragging on. It's just like bam, bam, bam. I, I don't. I mean, is that really like a trash of you guys? Or I, I thought I, it just really flowed. I mean, sometimes it's cringeworthy, but it's not a dull moment. I feel like the movie was probably 20 minutes too long. 
<laughs> and they could have taken those 20 minutes that they just added yeah. shit in there and like really explain just a handful of things to make it just like, oh, okay, like we see them, you know, meeting with the realtor and like, yeah. they, they're just different things where they just like within min, like not even within like 60 seconds, are they leaving the house and then they're, and then they're moving yeah. in. It's like, it's insane how fast it moves. I, I kind of liked it. Um, the darkness scene. And I laughed, um, the part where he's in the driveway and they're looking, they're looking for Charlie or they're looking for something out and a car's pulling up and the, the way that pans the the lights and you see Dennis Quaid's character, Charlie, like right there, but obviously through his peripheral, um, they can't see him. I don't know. I laughed. I don't know. I thought it was like a funny scene. You saw it coming. You're like, Hey, you know, he's right there. Yeah. Very predictable. I like that. Like most but, of this movie. Very yeah. Predictable. But the one part that I really do generally like, um, I forget who it was that liked it was the tunnel scene. I think it was you TJ mm-hmm. when he is like kind of checking himself out when she's telling him you need to leave or whatnot but he's checking himself out through a car mirror or the car door or whatever and she realizes she comes up through that tunnel and yeah. you kind of see okay he's been living there this and that um she comes out and he's right there in the driveway and all of a sudden he looks and he just like has this no and then he like starts running right. i was like okay and it really kind of I, I i really dug that scene but um but other than that that's all i have for treasure yeah so but uh we'll see how the ratings go but Again, a lot with what you guys said. I think the trash, we can agree. Plot had loopholes, acting, other things. But but yeah, that's my trash or treasure. That was Jason's favorite part. When he screamed no like yeah. that? No! I, actually, <laughs> I actually forgot to put out the ending. I hated the ending song. After she said that, like, you go with this R&B thing or whatnot. I mean, and then all of a sudden you end with that song. I, I thought that was bad. Yeah. The thing for me, like, I thought that, like, I want to know if they stayed in the house. Like, do you sell the house at that point? Do you stay there? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a beautiful house, but like, please, that's traumatic. Please don't give them ideas for a secret. I would have loved for them to have like at the very end, like a for sale sign or something, just to like let me know that like some sort of closure smart. other than we yeah. just shot him. Right. Yeah, there's a guy, because now you got to talk about Mike's dead. What about his girl? What are the the ramifications of that? What's going to happen legally with this dude who? has their money, like the stuff they've been through, the daughter, like I, I don't, there's a lot of things that aren't brought up ever again in this movie. I will say one thing though, like when we talk about like useless dialogue and shit, when Dennis Quaid throws uh, making good into the wall or the door or whatever and she falls to the ground and he's just like, what? And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean what? Like you threw her into a wall and she collapsed and passed out. Like, why are you saying what? Because then it cuts right to Scott, right? In the yeah, car. I yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're struggling. He throws her against the fridge and knocks her out. And then he just like walks up on her like, and the camera's like pointing up at him and he just screams what? He's like, what? And then it cuts to Scott and I'm just like, so wait, so you're surprised? Jason you, just looked up right now. It's like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, I'm just like, you're so you're you're clearly surprised by something. What is it that you're surprised about? Like the fact that you threw somebody into a fridge door and she collapsed? Like I don't I don't fucking understand. I thought that was like the biggest waste of dialogue in the whole movie. I don't There's know. a lot of really bad dialogue. Yeah. Unfortunately. The thing is, like, I think this movie had Could potential. I, I really well, do. I want to bring up something. If this was made in, like, the late 90s, would it have been a better movie? That's a thing, yeah, too. Yeah, because our expectations weren't as high. Well, okay, so we talked about we talked about how, like, this is really made to people say, like, oh, what the fuck? Oh, my yeah. God, don't go in there. That sort of audience participation. Yeah, like, a lot of the interviews I, I've seen, 
um, specifically said that this is a throwback to like 90s horror films. Well, and, I, and they compared it to Sleeping with the Enemy. They had that instrumental like part where he's getting control. Same thing on that. There's a couple other movies. I think one Jennifer Lopez was in like Enough. I don't know if it was in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, that was the 90s. But I, I look, if this is in the 90s, does it, do we give it more credit or do we give it more of a... Well, a kind value. Of like, it kind of like harkens back to like the like Scream or I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Those kinds of like thrill movies. The the thing I think that worked about those thrill movies though is that we didn't know who the antagonist was. He was always operating under some sort of disguise. I think from the set off, we know that Dennis Quaid's character is the bad guy. And so it kind of like ruins a lot of the plot for you because and, you yeah. just, you walk in knowing that. There's no, they show it in the trailer. Right. So there's no like. And, um, and someone has to die. There. You're not going to have Megan Good or Michael E's character die. So you know, Mike, I forget what his name is, but his best friend, like that's the guy that's going to die. You know not, right away. I'm not even lying when I say that when he was lying underneath that chandelier, which was hanging on by like one last wire, I was waiting for Charlie to like take a knife and like slice that chandelier. It would fall on Michael Ely and he would die. And then I was like, that would have, that would have shocked me. That would have been like, oh shit, this is a good movie. Yeah. But that didn't happen. All right, so uh, you guys... Uh, ready, ready for ratings? Yeah. yeah so, so we loved it, obviously. <laughs> All right. Jason, how much would you pay to watch The Intruder? Are you going to give it a monetary value or are you going to go zero? I'm going to go zero. <laughs> um, will you ever watch this again? I will never watch this again. Um, I think my rental was for 48 hours. It has about eight hours left till it expires. And uh, that, that movie will never be watched in this house again. No, we're going to press you, play right now. Yo, if you watch it twice, you know, you'll get half of that money back, uh, theoretically. No, I mean... I think I was watching a couple reviews and I forget the guy's name, but he said it really well that if we're going to pick something really good, at least a performance like Dennis Quaid, at least seemed creepy. Like yes. he went mm-hmm. over the top. So uh, we agree he went over the top, but I feel like he kind of knew what this movie was. Um, and I feel like the, the actors that played Scott and Annie took it very seriously as opposed to Dennis Quaid that kind of like said, hey, I'm going to be this villain, kind of nutty, and just run with it. Yeah. yeah. And so like you had this real like contrast between someone that like, hey, this is kind of like not a goofy thriller, but like it's a low budget thriller, supposed to be a little over the top. And then you have, um, is it Megan Good and Michael Ely, right? That, that kind of take it a little more serious approach. And I feel like that's where like there's a disconnect too. But yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to go zero. Um, I, I don't want to watch this movie again. Um, uh, I, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. It's a zero, man. All right. Elizabeth, uh, what are you paying? So has anybody ever given a negative <laughs> rating? Like uh, negative Rich, five? Rich tried one time. Well, here I am. Um, I want my money back. Like, I don't know what I have to do. So I guess I will go with a zero as well. I will never watch this again. As Jason said, there was just issues like from the beginning. Jason actually even said we just had the picture. I don't know what you want to call it, like the DVD cover type of thing was showing on Amazon, and he was like, "I have a really bad feeling about this because like, it wasn't even it, like made to the proportions of the screen." Yeah, thing. like when you see the DVD cover and you already are like, "This isn't looking good." It wasn't looking good. Yeah, because I had never watched a trailer or anything from my recollection, so really? I was just like, "Oh, I saw was the cover, like the movie poster." And I, I put it up and I'm like, it said, you know, the cheapest, you, well, I didn't look at standard, but the, cheap, the cheapest I saw was $5.99. I'm like, this is not going to be good. 
This he, is not. He was already saying it. You guys didn't go in with an open mind. No, I went in with an open. mind. I had nothing. I knew nothing about the movie. Never seen a trailer. He didn't know literally about judged it, a book by its cover. But he looked at it and he was like, "I have a feeling this is going to be awful." And I was like, "Why do you say that?" And he's like, "I don't know. I'm just looking at it and I'm not having good thoughts." I'm like, "I'm open. Like I have my my trash and treasure. Like they're even right now. This is they this are is not even page. at all. Oh, no. when you were watching yeah, it, yeah. When we first started, it was an empty page. Like half trash, half treasure, right down the middle. Like I'm ready to take notes. I'm ready to do whatever I need to do and. It did not end well. So, yeah, zero dollars. All right, TJ, how much are you paying to watch The Intruder? Again, I watched this last night. I Before I watched it, I had Kerwin text me and say, have you watched it yet? I said, no, what do you guys think? Kerwin said, Jason hated it. I loved it. And then I watched it and I realized that Kerwin is not always right, you know? <laughs> Des, despite how great he is, he's not always correct. Um, listen, you know, I'm the first one that, that tells us every time, every time I'm on this podcast, I say, listen, a movie's supposed to be entertaining. If it can entertain me, I think that has some value. Uh, but with that being said, I also think a movie should. Makes uh, sense. Well, I think it, I, I don't think it should be predictable. If I can predict what's going to happen throughout the entire film, then there's no point in watching it. There's no reason to watch it. There's a lot of predictability that comes with this movie. Um, and even the most unpredictable parts aren't even really done that well. So... Was it entertaining? Yes. Could I predict every piece of this film? Yes. Uh, for me, I think I would pay $5 for this movie. Oh, I thought I had you down for a zero already by your analysis, but all right, I'll give him 5 Yeah, I would right. pay $5 because it wasn't awful. It was entertaining. It kept you watching. It kept you engaged. But it kept you engaged in the way that you a movie that you've seen over and over and over again would keep you engaged. Uh, you just know what's, what's on the horizon. And again, I just don't think that it did its job as a suspense thriller. You saying the predictability thing reminded me, does it remind you of like a Lifetime movie? Where like, yes. you see it and it's like, you know, you see the cover and you can already tell what's gonna happen. Like I just, it very strongly reminded me of Lifetime movies where it's like, I don't even have to I don't have to watch it to know what's gonna happen. I can tell 30 seconds before and I think I kind of ruined it for Jason a little bit because I was like, well, this is what's gonna happen. I would say it and he's like. Gus even told me, like he sat down, he watched three minutes. He's like, I can tell you what's gonna happen. I was like, (laughs) don't you dare. (laughs) All right, uh, I'm gonna pay five bucks to watch this movie. Um, There's a lot of stuff. I mean, look, let's just be real. Like, I don't think this movie is trying to be anything other than what it is. Like, I think this movie knows what it is. Whether or not you can say that about the performances or whatever, that's one thing. But I think I think this movie knows exactly what it's supposed to be. It's just supposed to be a, you know, guys creeping on a family and they got to fight back. Pretty straightforward. And, you know, we talked about how a lot of the other movies related to this film based on who's involved all kind of share similar uh, tones or subject matter or plots. And I think you kind of know what you're getting into right off the bat, which can be good or bad, depending on what you're looking for in the movie. Um, I will say this, though, like if the aim of this movie, based on like a lot of the interviews and what we talked about is to get people to kind of react, I would say they've succeeded in that regard. For sure. Yeah. Like to TJ's point, like, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. But my my treasure list is like one eighth of my trash list. You know what I'm saying? Like I have like eight times more trash than treasure. But like I didn't pause once. I was engaged the entire time. I don't usually talk during movies, but I was saying, bitch, what are you doing at least 80 times during this film? Like, I, you know, Annie, Annie was killing it for me. Like every anytime she made a decision or was talking about Charlie, I was like, the fuck are you doing? call the police that's what i was saying the entire movie but you know to that point i will say this like they created something engaging 
and I was I was entertained, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like this movie is super amazing or anything like that. I think if you want to watch this with a group of friends and and have a couple of drinks or whatever, or you want to see this with with a crowd at the theater, I say this is that kind of movie. But um, yeah, if it was me and somebody offered me a DVD or if somebody said, hey, this movie's playing at the theater, I'd pay five bucks to see it. So five. Mugs, how much are you paying? I, I, I mean, I can't go more than a five, but I just have a hard time because I do think Con Air is better than this. And I gave Con Air a five, but I can't give this a zero, though, I don't think. So I was torn and I, I wish I could do a 2.5 or something, but I, I think, yeah, I will watch this again. Um, I'm going to try to do it at Jason's house, see if I can actually do that. 12 more hours. Because yeah. Yeah. it's entertaining, and I fell asleep not because of, not entertaining, I think that was more of a long day and intoxicated a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm also going to give this a five. I, I think that it deserves some sort of value other than a zero, but that gives it 15, and that's a $3 value for us. All right, so we're paying $3 to watch The Intruder. How, how do you feel about that? $3, Jason. I think that's fair. Okay. Three bucks. Isn't, that kind, of, isn't that kind of what yeah, was on Rotten how, Tomatoes? No, Rotten Tomatoes, right? Rotten Tomatoes. I, 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 I panicked real no, quick. But I was like, just, I was just, I'm a country guy. Yeah. <laughs> I was just to Kerwin, and I was like, that's half of what I paid to watch it. So I'm like, they might get half my money back. I'd be like, you know what? No, just split it between you and Elizabeth. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. He asked for that immediately after it was over, so I don't, I don't know what's can you Can you Venmo me $3, please? <laughs> she's laying there, and she's like, oh, I didn't really care much for the movie. I was like, I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, you're not getting your phone and Venmoing right now. <laughs> it's like my bank account's drying up. All right, so um, yeah, so that's the intruder. We're paying three dollars to watch it. I don't think. Can uh, I say one more I thing? Like yeah. To, what do you want to say? We're, we're not going to do the whole Tom Cruise thing, but could Tom Cruise have played the uncredited role of the house? <laughs> could he have done it? Like, that was the thing too. You know what? I got to say, you can't play Dennis Quaid. Dennis I, Quaid is the character for Charlie. I will say this though, like. You know, we talked about the house being like uncredited. It's just like, I, I feel bad for the house because like it kind of didn't get its due. You know, right. like it's probably your first role. Houses, <laughs> houses don't get cast that often. You know, it's just like you know you're trying to break into Hollywood. I, I just got to tell the house like get it's a better there for a house. get a better agent, man. Yeah. Just get a better agent. And you know what? Don't give up on your dreams. Yeah, exactly. Believe in yourself. But yeah, I I would say Tom Cruise is Dennis Quaid. Mm. That's just me. Really. I mean, He'd he, have to be. Yeah, who else, he, is, he who else is he going to play? He can't play Mike. Also you know? crazy. I think the only role I could see Tom Cruise in is Dennis Quaid. So yeah. also, there aren't that many roles in this. Movie or the neighbor. Me, yeah, he could be a cameo neighbor. Yeah. Or maybe Mike, if like Mike had fought back and not been killed so easily, Tom Cruise would have been perfect for that. All right, so uh, go to hell. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck you, Sally. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Twenty Dollar Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Oh, hi, Charlie. You brought a pizza? Come on in. Who cares that my husband's in the hospital? New play date. <laughs> like. Spears good, huh? I just hope I'm not gonna be shitting after this. <laughs> Where I left off. All right. Well, how does this how does this fit back in? That's what she said. Okay. Oh, my cheeks hurt. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> During production, the movie was known as Motivated Seller. Dear, uh, yeah, yeah, shit.
I feel like I haven't done this in a while. All right. All right. Well, how to practice? I know, right? <laughs> Fuck. All right, let's start over. <laughs>